I love seeing children uh, willing to get up in front of intimidating adults and, and sing songs about Jesus and Him being the real lifesaver. Good job, Casey. Good work. Um, but I just, I love the, the, the youth and the, the life in our church. You know, we dismiss the kids to children's church and half the auditorium leaves. Um, but that's, that's a great sign that, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of young families, a lot of kids who are, are hearing the truth of the gospel, who are, who are developing that relationship with Jesus at a young age. And it's, it's so exciting. And you know, on Wednesday nights, we have kids running all over the place around here. We break down the auditorium, and it's, it's little kids all over the place, and it's chaos, and it's fun, and it's, it's crazy. But we have all these kids memorizing verses from God's Word and, and hearing stories of God's love and God's goodness. And it's just a, a wonderful thing, and I'm thankful for the way that God has blessed us uh, to, to have these children in the church. And I'm thankful my kids get to be a part of it and they get to hear these truths about God. So, just wonderful to see and encouraging to see. Today we're going to be in Luke chapter 7. We're going to be back in our, back in our study as we're following Christ's steps through the New Testament. And the title is, um, Much Love. We're not going out of the way just because it's Valentine's Day to talk about love. Uh, it's actually, you know, within where we're headed in our, in our context and in our story as we're going through the Gospels. So I thought that was pretty interesting because we've been going for like a year and a half on this, this study, and here we are on Valentine's Day talking about love. Um, this story is a pretty interesting story. It's a familiar story. Uh, it's the story when Jesus goes to the Pharisee Simon's house. And while he's at the house, a lady comes in and, and washes his feet with her tears and with her hair. And to think of these details of this true story actually playing out are amazing. And that's what I want to do this morning is just go through this story. We're going to go verse th- verses 36 through 50. And I just want the details to jump out to you, to come to life to you. We can read these stories in the Gospel and we can just read them with familiarity and we can read them like, you know, we've read it a hundred times. But I want us to pause and to stop and to think about this real life, true story actually playing out. Because these details are incredible. And if we were to actually witness something happening like this in real life, I believe it would change the way that, that we look at stuff and the way that we think about stuff. And it would challenge our love for Jesus and what He has done for us. So if you would with me, use your imaginations here. Let the story come to life. Act like you're a, a kid in school again, hearing this story for the first time. And it can become exciting and alive to you. Because God's Word is alive and it is powerful and it should not grow old to us and we should always continually be ready to hear and to learn what He has for us. So let's look at our text together. Uh, Verse 36 of Luke chapter 7. I want to read this together so we can get a big picture idea. Then we're going to go back through it verse by verse fairly quickly and you know we'll try to have the story come to life. And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. 
And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. So we're talking about Jesus here. The Pharisee asks Jesus to come into his house to eat. Verse 37, And behold, a woman in the city which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment, and stood at his feet behind him weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears, and did wipe them with the hairs of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this was that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed five hundred pence and the other fifty. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me therefore which of them will love him most. Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, who is this that forgiveth sins also? And he said to the woman, Thy faith has saved thee. Go in peace. Let's pray together. Dear Father, I thank you for another opportunity to come together. I thank you that we can uh, look in your word and, and study this, this real life account that happened. That we get to see the way that you worked in the lives of these different people. I pray that you will work in our hearts today, that, that you will speak to us, that you will challenge us. I pray that we'll be open and honest with you today. I thank you for being so wonderful. I thank you for your love and for your, your greatness that is beyond what we can imagine. I pray that you'll help us to have this high view of God where we trust in you for everything, where, where we love you through whatever situation we're going through. I pray that you will work in our hearts and our lives today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, to verse 36. We're talking about a Pharisee. A Pharisee named Simon. Jesus reveals his name down, in a, little, down a little bit in the passage. So there's a Pharisee. Uh, we know a little bit about Pharisees from our, our studies already. But Pharisees were recognized as separatists. They were, they were separated. They were... a I guess self-appointed religious leaders. Um, they were self-appointed guardians of legalistic, external, ritualistic religion. So if you want to put it with some big words in there, 
you know, they were, they were self-appointed making sure everybody else was doing what was right, making sure people were keeping the law, and not only keeping the law, but keeping all the rules that they had added to the law and keeping the traditions that they had added to the law. And throughout time, their words and, and their traditions started to trump even God's law in their own minds. So imagine these pharisaical police policing people and, and judging people and, and, and calling out people for things God never even intended for them to do. And that's what we have here. We're dealing with this Pharisee. These Pharisees thought that they were righteous because of the way that they kept the law, the way that they kept the traditions, the way that they kept these rules that they even made up themselves. They thought that they were self-righteous and they didn't need a Savior. They didn't need forgiveness for their sins because in their minds they thought that they were righteous. So that's who we're dealing with here as we're talking in this story. And Jesus is going to kind of call them out in a, in a subtle way here. And what these Pharisees were doing is actually missing the point of the law. What the law was intended to do was to show people that they can't actually keep the law. You ever tried to put yourself to the test of the Ten Commandments? It, it starts to break down pretty quickly. And if you broke one, you broke them all. You're guilty of them all. So the law, its intent and its purpose is to show us that, uh-oh, I'm in big trouble. I can't keep God's perfect law. The law is to show us that sinners are in need of a Savior. The law is a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. Galatians chapter 3, verse 24, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. So the law is intended to point us to Christ. And what the Pharisees would do is say, hey, you've got to keep all this stuff. You've got to perfectly live this out. Plus what we say you've got to do, and you're good. You're self-righteous. You're justified. Problem being, nobody can keep it all. Nobody can be perfect all the time. So problem, right? In general, the Pharisees were self-righteous hypocrites that rejected their need for a Savior. And you might say, that's some strong language there. Well, have you read what Jesus said about the Pharisees? He didn't beat around the bush with them either. He called them whited walls. Hypocrites. He called them out. Brood of vipers. I mean, Jesus was serious in dealing with these Pharisees. So it's not just me up here making up these mean words about Pharisees. This is what Jesus verbalized to them. And they rejected Jesus as the Messiah. And in our story here, we have a Pharisee, whose name is Simon, that asks Jesus to come to his house to eat with him. So as I'm reading this, I'm like, what are Simon's motives here? He doesn't believe in Jesus. He doesn't believe Jesus is the Messiah. He rejects Jesus. Why is he going to ask Jesus to come to his house. He doesn't love Jesus. He doesn't care about Jesus. He doesn't even believe Jesus is who he claims to be. So what are his motives here? I'll tell you what I think based on other scriptures and other accounts. He's probably trying to find reasons to accuse Jesus in court. 
He's gathering evidence against Jesus. And we find examples of this throughout Scriptures where the Pharisees would have these meetings with Jesus and they would talk to Jesus to try to get Him caught up in His words, to try to catch Him up doing things that He shouldn't be doing. And we even find in this story, we find Simon finding Jesus doing stuff that Simon has a problem with. So how does Jesus respond to this invitation to this man that doesn't love Him, this man that doesn't care about Him, How does Jesus respond to this invitation when Simon says, Hey Jesus, will you come to my house for a meal? Jesus, fully knowing this man's motives, was still willing to go to his house with him. It's like putting yourself in a situation with a whole bunch of people that don't like you. That's what Jesus did. He continued in love and grace and kindness towards this man. He goes to his house. And he sits down to eat. And, you know, we think of sitting down to eat. You know, you go into someone's house. They have a meal prepared. You sit at the table. You eat some food. Well, I want to set this this setting for you. Because when these Pharisees would invite people to their house, they would be someone of significance, a rabbi or a master or a teacher. And they would come to their house for this meal. The invited guest could sit at the table or I guess recline at the table, we'll see. They're actually laying down at the table with their feet away from the table because their feet are nasty. Right? They're walking around in the dust. It's hot. It's sweaty. You don't want your you know, feet off the table. So they would put their feet behind them, and then they would lean forward. But the doors of the house would typically be open so that those who wanted to hear the conversation, they would let come and stand around the table or inside the doors. Could you imagine if we still did that? That'd be kind of strange. You don't know who's coming to your house. You're just having a meal, and people are walking and listening to your conversation. Strange, right? But that's the culture. That's the way that it was. So we have this meal going on. We have random people apparently standing around this table listening to this conversation. And then we have these men together kind of laying at the table with their feet behind them eating this this meal. Jesus is most likely in a room of doubters and haters. We find that at the end of the chapter, I believe, where they're questioning Jesus' ability to forgive sin. So Jesus, Jesus is in this hostile environment, if you will, fully knowing what was going on. Remember, God in the flesh, all knowing, knowing what people were thinking about Him, the thoughts they were having as He would talk or I just couldn't imagine that I have a problem when I think someone doesn't like me but to actually to be able to know what their thoughts are and knowing that they hate you man my conversation would be limited right who I hung out with would be pretty limited but here we have Jesus in this room full of people who don't love him or care about him look at verse 37 and behold a woman in the city which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment. So a woman shows up that doesn't doubt or hate Jesus. She loves Jesus. She's filled with gratitude. She's filled with faith. Did you catch how the verse said that she was a sinner? That seems like maybe you don't need to point that out. Because everybody in that whole city was a sinner except for Jesus. 
But what it's speaking of, of her being a sinner, is talking about morally. She was known in the city as probably most likely a prostitute. It's not really socially acceptable. They're probably not normally going to these meetings with rabbis and Pharisees, right? Remember the story of the woman at the well? She's trying to hide from people. And we have here this most likely prostitute walking into this meeting with Jesus and this Pharisee. And she stands behind Jesus. She was a sinner, a prostitute, standing behind Jesus. She had a reputation in the city, and she was recognized by Simon as someone with a reputation for sinning. We'll see that in a minute. But she hears Jesus is at Simon's house. So she slips into the house with with an alabaster box of ointment. And the ointment is speaking of perfume, but this alabaster would be an expensive kind of marble quarried in Egypt, usually. So if you're wondering, what's alabaster? There you go. Expensive kind of marble or rock that was used to hold ointment. So precious, precious box, important box, would contain stuff that was valuable because she didn't want it leaking out. So she comes into this, this meeting with these, these people. Can you picture this scene unfolding, though? Like, let's try to imagine here, like you're in elementary again. Think about this. These grown men having this conversation, eating, people all around, and then this lady slipping into the room, this prostitute coming with her little alabaster box of perfume. She's standing behind Jesus. She knew who Jesus was, and Jesus knew who she was. Eventually kneeling at Jesus' feet, and she starts to wash his feet, look at verse 38, and stood at his feet behind him weeping and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. She began to wash, the verse says. And that word wash literally is speaking of raining. She was crying quite a bit. I haven't really cried like it was raining outside. But you can imagine this happening, right? This lady's so broken, so much love for Jesus, that she just starts weeping and pouring out tears on his feet. And then what does she do? She wipes his feet with her hair. Traditionally, her hair would have been kept up tight or or hidden or obscured. And this lady takes her hair down, which was culturally unacceptable. I just want to point that out, you know, not walking around like that. She let her hair down, which would have been a shame to her in front of all these people, but she didn't care. She was at the feet of Jesus, crying at his feet. She starts washing his feet with her hair. She recognized that Jesus had been neglected, and she responded. She washed his feet Then she kissed his feet. Do you see the genuine humility and love there? Think think about feet. (laughs) Right? Let's make this story real. And I don't want to be disrespectful at all, but Jesus' feet were human feet. 
right? And he walked in the dirt. He walked in the dust. And they were still feet. And this woman pouring out her love for Jesus washes his feet, wipes his feet, and then kisses his feet. She anoints his feet with this this perfume. It's an unbelievable act of humility, of love, of genuine care and concern. She was broken. She was a repentant individual. And she was recognizing who Jesus was. And I want you to think about this. She displayed honor in a room filled with people looking to dishonor Jesus. At the cost of wiping Jesus' feet with her hair and kissing the feet of Jesus in a room full of people that didn't really care about Jesus. She recognized her need for Him. Isn't that a huge contrast to this Pharisee who apparently needed nothing from Jesus? And I say apparently because he needed a lot from Jesus. He just wasn't willing to see it. Verse 39, Now when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself. So he's not talking out loud here. In his mind, I picture him daydreaming. Right? What's Jesus doing here? Doesn't he know who's, who's kissing on his feet, who's washing his feet? What's the matter with this guy? He says he's a prophet. He's no prophet. Look at the verse saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. And it's it's like Jesus interrupts his daydream by calling his name. Look at verse 40. And Jesus answering said unto him, the guy didn't talk out loud, right? He was talking in his head, and Jesus answers his thoughts by saying, Hey, Simon, I've got something to say to you. Could you imagine that? Oh, no. Coming out of your daydream there. And he saith, Master, say on. Do you think there was some sarcasm when he called Jesus Master? Remember in his thoughts he was doubting that Jesus was a prophet? And now he says, oh, master, say, you know, putting on that front like he's a good Pharisee or something. Jesus calls him out. Simon, I've got something to say to you. Oh, okay. Say, go ahead, Jesus. Say it. And Jesus hits him with the story. Verses 41 and 42. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. So this is this... Currency is believed to be denarii, which would have been about a day's labor, what you get paid for a day. So there's a guy that owes him a couple months worth of wages, and then a guy that owns like almost two years, a year and a half of wages to this creditor. Verse 43, And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me therefore, which of them will love him most? So you see how Jesus responds here? He tries to help Simon think a little bit. He's still still loving Simon here. He's still trying to reach out to Simon here. 
And he gives them this story of these people that owe this creditor some money. The point is they have no way to pay for this debt. And the creditor just forgives them both. And then Jesus' question is, well, which guy is going to love the creditor most? Well, the guy that he forgave a year and a half's worth of, of debt, of labor for. Okay, Simon answers correctly the question. But I want us to think about that, what Jesus is, is saying there, his, his message that, he's, that we can look at and see. Because every single person in humanity has a debt before God. The wages of sin is death. Okay, so our sin has incurred a debt, and it's, it's death. Okay, a debt we cannot pay for. A debt that leaves us worthy of punishment. But Jesus died on the cross, shed His perfect sinless blood, rose again three days later, paying that sin debt, offering forgiveness for our debt, paying our debt, He took our debt on His shoulders. And when we believe on Him and and His finished work, He forgives our debt and He justifies us and He declares us righteous. What a wonderful thing. Because we have a debt that we cannot pay. And Jesus took that debt. Because if you think about the creditor here, He had to absorb that debt that He forgave. Somebody had to cover it. So he, the creditor, when you find a creditor that pays your debt, right? He took the guy's debt for them. And we have a Savior that loves us and cares about us and took our sin debt, who took our payment, and will forgive us of our sins and will declare us righteous to his Father. Declare our debt forgiven. In this story, we have a woman that had a debt she couldn't pay. She turned to Jesus to pay it. Simon also had a debt, but he was too blind to see it. He was drowning in self-righteousness. Look at verse 43. Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom... He forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. So it's like Jesus says, Good job, Simon. You got it. You got it right. Jesus is about to drive his point home here. Look at verses 44 through 46. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet. But she hath washed my feet with tears, and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. These common courtesies that were were done in this culture, Jesus says, you denied me, Simon. You don't love me. You don't care about me. You don't believe in me. This woman has went above and beyond the courtesies of the culture. It's not even her house. But she comes in and and she washes my feet with her tears and with her hair. And she doesn't anoint my head. She anoints my feet with this expensive perfume. 
This woman recognizes her problem. She sees her need. She loves me. She cares about me. She believes in me. You see a contrast between the two? One thought he had it all figured out and didn't need Jesus, but he absolutely did need Jesus. His self-righteousness was going to earn him nothing as far as favor goes with God. And then we had a woman with really nothing to offer but a bad reputation. And she comes to Jesus in faith, in love, believing who he is, believing what he can do, recognizing her need, and she is forgiven. Look at verse 47. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. So first of all, this this Pharisee didn't see his need. He didn't recognize that he needed to be forgiven for much. He thought he had it figured out. And there was no love for Jesus. He could care less about Jesus. He was trying to trip him up. But then we have this woman who has given evidence that her sins are forgiven. That she has recognized and believed in who Jesus was and what he could do and what he would accomplish. And it's like Jesus says to Simon, I want to make it clear to you, her sins have been forgiven. The proof, the evidence that her sins have been forgiven is she has loved me much. Simon, you don't think you need forgiveness. You don't believe that I am who I say I am. You don't believe my message. The evidence that you don't, you have loved me little. Or you haven't shown any sign of love to me. It's like, Simon, you talk a big game, but you are missing the big picture. Simon, you need me. Simon needed Jesus just like this prostitute woman needed Jesus. They both had a sin problem that only Jesus could forgive, a debt that only Jesus could forgive. The word that we find in there in verse 47 Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. I just want to point this out. In the Greek, it's in the perfect tense. It's a perfect tense verb, the way that it's translated. So it describes action completed in the past with continuing results in the present. So when we we put the verb tense in the context of the verse, There is indication that her sins were forgiven before she came there that day. Whereas it looks like she had met Jesus before this day. She knew who Jesus was and she brought a gift to Jesus. So if we take the Greek tense of the word, it appears she had already met Jesus and spoken with Jesus and he had forgiven her sins somewhere previous to this. Now this... This is my guess. This is what I believe happened. You can feel free to believe differently. But with the the Greek indication given, it, it puts an incredible light on this story where Jesus had forgiven her sins and her sins are still forgiven. And she's coming to show Jesus that she loves Him in front of this room filled with people that hate Jesus and want Jesus to trip up and want Jesus to stumble. 
And again in verse 48, and he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. The, the verb is again in the perfect tense. Her display of love was evidence of her transformed life. Look at verse 49. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? These details didn't affect the people in the room at all. They didn't care what they had just seen or what Jesus had said. All they were looking for was stuff to trip Jesus up to call Jesus out. Because Jesus claims to forgive her sins, and only God can forgive sins. Truly and completely. And their thing is, is you're not God. Who's this guy thinking he can forgive sins? But the fact that Jesus could forgive sins and did forgive sins is evidence to the fact that he is deity, that Jesus is God. And then verse 50, and we're almost done. And he said to the woman, Thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. Jesus makes it clear that her salvation was not based upon her love or her works or her deeds. It was her faith in him and who he was and what he would accomplish. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. See, if this woman got saved through her washing of Jesus' feet, she could have walked around and said, hey, do you see what I did back there at Simon's house? I earned favor with God because I washed his feet. That wasn't the case at all. Jesus, in his grace and in his mercy, forgave her. She didn't earn it. He gave it to her through her faith. And I want you to think about the fact that her love was evidence of her faith. The text says she had much love. She was very thankful. And then one commentator um, had this quote. I just wanted to read it because I can't say it any better. It is their love for the Lord Jesus Christ that is the believer's most powerful witness to the lost world. An ungrateful, loveless Christian undercuts the testimony of the gospel and such attitudes are incompatible with God's gracious forgiveness. Let me read that again. There's a lot. It is their love for the Lord Jesus Christ that is the believer's most powerful witness to the lost world. An ungrateful, loveless Christian undercuts the testimony of the gospel, and such attitudes are incompatible with God's gracious forgiveness. Kind of makes you think a little bit. Your love for Jesus says a lot about what you believe about Jesus. Do we recognize what Jesus has done for us? Do we recognize we had a debt we couldn't pay on our own? Worthy of God's wrath, of God's judgment. But Jesus 
loved us enough to pay that payment, that debt for us? Do we, do we recognize that? As much as our minds can grasp, do we, do we consider what a great gift, what a great love God had for us? Do we recognize what Jesus has done for us? And then do we respond with love to Him? Right, this woman had evidence of her faith because she loved Jesus much. And then, do we respond, do we respond with love to Him? And do we, we respond with love for others? Oh man, he's going to go there. 1 John chapter 4. You could really read all of 1 John to make this point. I just want to read a few ver- read through the end of the chapter from verses 7 to 21 and then we'll close in prayer. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins or the satisfactory payment for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and His love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in Him and He in us because He hath given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in Him and He in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. Let's pray together. Dear Father, I thank you.